One thing I've seen is that you get frustrated and burned out because people simply don't see you. People have their own things on their plate. So if you don't advocate for yourself, so many opportunities will just pass you by because you're not making yourself seen, known, and heard. Welcome to the Career Relaunch Podcast, featuring personal stories of career change to inspire you to reinvent your own career. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you gain the clarity, confidence, and courage to make brave changes in your career that allow you to do work you find more meaningful and enjoyable. In each episode, I feature people who have boldly stepped off the beaten path to relaunch their careers. We talk through their unique personal journeys, the challenges they overcame, and the lessons they learned along the way to help you understand what it takes to relaunch your own career. Today, my guest is going to share her story of going from political scientist to a sales manager. We'll discuss why making a change in your career often requires a leap of faith and why you have to be the person to advocate for what you want. Afterwards, during today's Mental Fuel, I'll share how I manage the delicate balance between modesty and self-advocacy. Getting what you want in your career often requires confidently speaking up and asking for what you want. Marketing your accomplishments means proactively showcasing your successes, and advocating for yourself often involves making your voice heard. However, if you're like most people I cross paths with out there, talking about your accomplishments or showcasing your achievements may not come that naturally to you. Communicating your successes can feel like you're bragging or shamelessly self-promoting. Asking for what you want can feel intrusive or presumptuous, and just sharing your own accomplishments with others can feel awkward or forced. No one wants to be that person who's going overboard with sharing their achievements, no matter how big or small. At the same time, if you don't advocate for yourself, you run the risk of disappearing into the background. If you don't drive visibility for your work, no one else may be aware of your accomplishments. And if you don't ask for what you want, opportunities are unlikely to just fall into your lap. Today, I'm speaking with Claudia Bruce Corti, who's had to do a fair amount of self-advocacy throughout the course of her career. Raised in Germany as a first-generation immigrant after her parents moved there from Ghana, Claudia eventually completed her master's degree in public administration in France and most recently relocated to Switzerland. Her professional journey has been all about reinvention. Originally a political scientist with no knowledge of IT, Claudia is now a key account manager for the software company Red Hat. She also passionately works with underrepresented youth and female professionals to help them confidently speak about their accomplishments and ask for what they want in their careers. With over eight years of experience in the Swiss tech industry, Claudia describes herself as an agent for transformation on a mission to create equal representation and opportunities. She's also the author of the book, My Hair, My Choice, that encourages young children to understand that being unique and different is great. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted to share Claudia's story with you is because she's experienced firsthand how easy it is, especially for those in underrepresented groups, to want to pivot into more meaningful careers, only to stay stuck in a job where you're underutilized, underpaid, and undervalued. By the end of our conversation, I hope you'll feel inspired to take steps to create the career and life you want, even when the odds are stacked against you. You can get all the show notes from today's conversation at careerrelaunch.net slash 98. Claudia spoke with me from Zurich, Switzerland. Hello, Claudia, and welcome to the Career Relaunch Podcast. It is so great to talk to you on this show. Hi, Joseph. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, well, let's get started by, first of all, talking about what you have been focused on 
at this moment in both your personal and professional life? What's been keeping you busy? My children, first and foremost, I'm a mother. I'm a mother of two. We are about to head into the big summer break. So this is what's keeping me busy. And then also preparing everything at work in order to make the transition to holidays as smooth as possible. So I am a key account manager working for a major open source software company in Switzerland. And this is kind of my main job. And then secondly, I help women advocate for themselves. That's what I do passionately. And I, and I love doing that. So these are the three key things that are keeping me busy. And if not, it's summertime. I love going out with my bike. Sounds good. Let's take those one at a time here. So you said mother of two. You got summer vacation coming up. How do you balance your ongoing demands as a key account manager there at Red Hat with the idea that I'm assuming your kids are not going to be in school <laughs> most of the day. Like, how do you balance that on a practical and personal level? So I think the key word here is flexibility. Flexibility, and then my partner, of course, that helps me out a lot with regards to, you know, how we manage our schedules. But the key part here is really flexibility, being able to do remote. The pandemic has done us actually somehow also a great favor in understanding that you can do your most effective work without having to be on site every single time. That's one thing. And then setting the expectations right with customers, but also at home, right? And setting boundaries. I think this is the most important part. Before we go back into your past, can you also explain just a little bit about what you do as a key account manager for Red Hat? What's your day-to-day look like? The easiest part to say is that I work in sales, right? I'm a key account manager. And as a key account manager, my day-to-day job consists of helping customers through digital transformation. Every customer today needs to be at the forefront of innovation, at the forefront of their competition and um, be successful. And that is through tech and through IT. So my job as a key account manager is that I support roughly about six accounts on this transformation with the solution, with their open source solution that Reddit provides. And the easiest way is to understand is that really, if you work at the everything that happens at the background, when things run smoothly, that's how Reddit provides their services, right? When something breaks, well, you know where to find us. That's the easiest way to describe it. Well, I know that you haven't always been a key account manager for Red Hat. You haven't always worked in sales. And in fact, you were in a very, very different sector before. I would love to hear more about your time working in political science when you started off your career, and then we can move forward from there. And maybe the best way to start here is just to get an understanding of how did you get interested in political science originally? That's true. I never even anticipated being in sales or being in the tech industry. Like everything that had to do with STEM, it was a repellent to me. <laughs> so when I I, I um, graduated and then started studying in 2010, for me, naturally, I gravitated towards international organizations and then also really policies and, and not per se being involved in politics. That's what a big misconception for anyone that thinks, okay, you're going to political science in order to become a politician, it's not that. For me, it was really integrating international organizations, being in international relations, speak United Nations, speak European Union, right? Being in one of these institutions. So 
with that being said, there was no sales involved. Um, there was no tech involved, or so I thought. That was kind of where I started off and where I really found myself, or I thought that this would be my career. Now, I was just in Washington, D.C. last month, Claudia, and I used to live and work there many years ago. And have you been to D.C.? before I've been to DC yeah okay so so <laughs> one of year. the things okay so you've been there recently one of the things you might notice about DC is it's one of those places where the professional scene is kind of unique compared to other major cities because there are people there who certainly work in the more traditional corporate for-profit world but you've got a lot of professionals there especially young professionals me included when I lived there who are much more focused on the nonprofit, governmental, more social policy type cause-based organizations. So that's what I would describe as a major split in the professional world. Why were you originally drawn to that world and not initially the more like corporate-y, like more for-profit side of the professional world? Some is also part of my heritage. I'm originally from Ghana and I was born and raised in Hanover, Germany. And for me, I wanted to create an impact that would either help advance our community or help advance Africa in general. And that's why also international relations was so important to me to be able to shape policies or shape programs that would help advance Africa as, as a whole, but more importantly, also Ghana and then also the Ghanaian community within Hanover. So that is the reason why I was rather drawn towards that. And then also there were, I mean, 2010, 2012, right? There were lots of different programs out there, especially for young people. And for me, I was a youth mentor also. So everything and anything around helping the youth out and with regards to their professional development, with regards to their integration into society is something I was very, very much drawn to. And I wanted to professionalize that. And right, the European Union at that point in time, first of all, there were not a lot of people that looked like me inside of this organization. So for me, it was really, okay, I can make an impact here with my voice and also with my work. So that's the reason why I was naturally drawn to that. And how were those early days for you as you were looking for professional opportunities in that space? How did that transpire for you? Lots of these opportunities come through either connection or just sheer hard work. Because for me, I had different types of opportunities, of course, but lots of them were either very, very short term or were entry level positions. For example, when I used, I lived also in Paris during my studies at the same time I was working and I was working for a, uh, let's say, governmental institution over there. But it was very short lived. Number one, it, it was faced by multiple short lived opportunities. That's one thing. And then secondly, the pay wasn't also the best to be transparent. And I was looking at myself and the vision that I had created about myself of what it means to be what I thought would be successful. And that was not it. Um, right to have a master's degree and still be struggling in finding a real proper job and a long term job. This is kind of also where I was really questioning myself whether or not this is the path that I want to take, even though I love it. I wasn't sure of whether my love or passion for the field would sustain me there. That's really interesting, Claudia. One of the things I hear from people as they are either embarking on a new career path or even just 
the career path they had thought they wanted to go on is sometimes the going is a bit rough and it's a bit bumpy. And I suppose one of the decisions you have to make is, do I keep trying to make it in this industry or do I walk away and do something else? How did you think about that? And how could you tell when you should keep trying and when you should call it quits? That's very much a good question because I struggled with that a lot because I was looking, okay, what are the skills that I can actually apply within this industry or within the field that I was working in, right? So I speak five languages, okay, you know, maybe anything around languages um, could help. So translation jobs, uh, for example, was one of them, or conference facilitating conference. So there are a lot of different areas actually within the field, which is great. The, the field is very rich. But again, finding these opportunities, at least for me, posts to be a challenge. And then as I was also growing and graduating, and then I had, I mean, life hit in, I got married also, then I had a baby. This is what's really the turning point for me to get an understanding is that, okay, first I'm single and I can hustle, but with someone else, in this world where she depends completely on you, on you to make it happen, things shifted very quickly for me. And to me, the turning point was in 2015, where I had been in a position that was absolutely had nothing to do with what I had studied. It was an entry level sales position. And I got to the realization, this cannot be it. I, it. There has to be a better way. But to be honest, I didn't know how this way looked like. And I certainly didn't think that it was IT. I just knew something else has to come up for me. Let's talk about the transition that you went through here. So things are taking a little bit longer than maybe you had expected to gain some traction in the political science world. You have gotten married. You've got a baby now. You're feeling like the phase of life that you're in right now might require you to reconsider your career options. Take me through the transition as you went from what was political science to then eventually a sales role. And the first question I have about this is how easy was it for you to let go of the idea of pursuing political science? That was very difficult because I chose political science after having taken a break from my studies for a year. So when I did my A-level degree, I went to France for a year to find myself, to find what it is that I want to do. I knew, again, nothing with STEM. I knew law wouldn't cut it. I knew, you know, because also in the Ghanaian communities, either you become a lawyer, a doctor or a banker. These are the three <laughs> career paths that you're, you're open with. Anything else, we don't know, so you don't pursue so I had to find something where, you know, I can still become successful. And political science was that field where I could bring so much of my abilities into it. And then studying it, then doing my bachelor's degree, doing my master's degree then in, in, in France, and then not finding a job in which I could thrive, not finding ground in a field that I had studied and had worked in for some time was very tough because I was like, okay, now I'm out of my studies. I need to have a proper job. I need to have a contract, right? It was very the basic necessities of, I have a job, I have a contract. It is a long-term thing. And I see myself progressing in that career. I didn't see that. So then I was like, okay, will I keep doing things that are not working and dragging my entire family into it? Or will I start opening up my eyes towards opportunities that are out there? So I started then 
not randomly, but I would say more openly applying to jobs that were outside of my field. Some had the sales component to it, but definitely not the role that I'm currently in and the career I'm currently pursuing. I know along the way, you also, if I've got the timing right here, you kind of dabbled in some, I'm just going to broadly describe them as stopgap or like transitional hold yourself over for a while jobs. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Can you give Lots me a sampling of, of uh, what were some of the other jobs you took just to make ends meet and also just to hold you over while you figured this out? Wait tables. I was a waitress. I was teaching children at some point in time. I do translations jobs along the way. I help people with some administrative work also, right? It's a really let's say little petty jobs that kept me along the way that kept me afloat i was a tour guide for a very very short short amount of time right in um, france some in france right like what are the odds i'm from hanover germany i'm actually Ghanaian. <laughs> i i go to france and I become a tour guide like it was a very very short amount of time somebody couldn't fill the role and and i hopped in i also promoted flyers so you know, different kinds of brands and shops and, and just worse outside, giving in flies and promoting flies. And the accumulation of that brought more and more frustration, very much frustration because it wasn't steady. There was no strategy behind it. It was just, okay, what am I doing to get to the next paycheck? And to me, that wasn't it. I just had a much bigger vision about myself and where I wanted to see my family than what I was currently doing. How long did that period last for you? So right after my pregnancy, I think about a year, a year and a half. To me, it was an eternity. Yeah, I've had those <laughs> phases in my career also where I have, I actually waited tables briefly also. And I worked in a retail store for a while and it does, it can feel like a very long time. These transitional periods, even though we're talking a few months to a year, it can feel like an eternity. You eventually decided to do a master's in France, as I understand it. What did pursuing an advanced degree allow you to do? In 2010, exactly, I was still pursuing a career in political science. I had not let go of that idea. And I thought, all right, well, let me have an advanced degree. Let me have it in a foreign country to open up my chance to be considered for roles inside of the European Union, inside of, you know, really the big NGOs, because this was the profile that they were looking for. Somebody that is international, is versatile, has done several things, um, understands the system. So to me, it was like, oh, great. And, and it opened up opportunities, again, being able to work in some of the French institutions in different cities, in Paris, for example, in Manos, for example. At the end of the day, it all didn't help me to really build the career that I was looking for. It helped me today, absolutely, because I think all of the experiences that I made moving from Germany to France and then coming here to Switzerland has absolutely helped me because I know today for a fact is that it is my stop in France that helped make the transition to Switzerland very smoothly because I speak French. So how did you eventually make your foray into the tech industry and the sales role? What was the first breakthrough for you in that sector? There was a program that was being run by Cisco 
And Cisco at that point in time was looking for junior sales representatives. And the way it was conveyed to me was that, hey, you know, yes, this is a tech industry, but look at all the things that IT touches. And this is where I started to listen up. I was like, hey, it's true. Because to me, the perception about tech was you have to code, you have to be a nerd. And when I was studying, the people that I saw pursuing anything in tech or engineering were nerds, hardcore nerds. When they opened up their textbooks, I understood absolutely nothing. So I was like, okay, this is not the field that I want to be in. But this program was completely different. And this program was something that I was already doing, but didn't realize, which was sales. In every type of industry or every type of job also that I got, and being qualified or overqualified, I was still able to sell myself somehow and sell the fact that I'm the best candidate for this position, right? So that type of, okay, presentation skills, that type of sales skills helped me then make the transition. But again, it was someone saw my CV. It was really being headhunted. Someone saw my CV and said, hey, we believe you'd be great in this industry. You'd be great for this particular company. And I just gave it my all. I just gave it my all. And I said, okay, I have nothing to lose at this point in time. I am jobless. So let me go. Before we started recording, Claudia, when we spoke before, you had said that navigating careers for women can be quite lonely and costly and scary without a support system or without some sort of a roadmap. What were those early days like for you in a brand new industry, in tech, in sales? Do you remember what it was in like? In Switzerland. Yes, in Switzerland, yes. <laughs> yes, in Switzerland. Definitely, it was definitely a moment. I mean, the beginning was very exciting, right? Going through all of the interviews and being given the prospect of joining a industry that gives you the chance to establish a career. That was what I was going for, the idea that I had. But I didn't know what I actually signed up for. And I didn't know that I was signing up for an industry that was chronically underrepresented by women and then women that looked like me and women that were at the intersection of women, black mothers, right? So I fell into a very, very traditional company then at that point in time. It was, yes, Cisco, but there was a partner in between. So I worked for a partner organization. And yes, even though there were, you know, small bits of support, it was very lonely and very scary because I had no knowledge and no background in IT. I had no knowledge, no background in sales besides the academy and the sales program that I went through. But it was pretty much, you know, okay, I was pushed into the cold water to start doing the job, which in the end helped me get into the job and getting the ropes of this job much faster. But it is because naturally I'm a person that doesn't give up easily. But I can tell you that I shed lots of tears. And for, I think, six months into Switzerland, I was very much doubting whether or not this was the right decision to take and to make and to bring my family here. This is probably a hard question to answer, but how much of that challenge do you feel you attribute to just the fact of being in a completely new industry? And how much of that do you attribute to being an underrepresented minority female in the tech industry? sometimes one or the other plays more, right? Because in the beginning, again, I went in with an open mind. I didn't go in with, okay, you know, I'm a woman. I don't see a lot of women here. So this might be it. I was trying to understand what will this industry give and how can I apply my knowledge and 
be more knowledgeable because in my understanding, if you become more knowledgeable, things will get easier. That was for me the baseline. What can I do professionally? What can I control? The fact that I'm a woman or I'm a black woman or a mother, these are things I cannot control. So I focus on the things that I can control, right? But when you then go up the industry, move up the ladder, and then you, there are still certain glass ceilings that you face, there's where you start questioning. When you walk into every single room and you're the first or the only, when you are being questioned on certain things that your male colleagues are not being questioned on, when you face challenges that your male colleagues don't even recognize as challenges, there's where you start asking yourself, hey, is this normal or is this because I'm a woman? Right. So, yes, in the beginning, it was really the knowledge gap. But then eventually, very quickly, I understood it is not just the knowledge. It's really very much also the fact that surely there are not enough women here. I do want to come back to this topic toward the end of our conversation, because I think it's an important one that navigating not only being a minority in terms of your experience, but also a minority in terms of how you look, where you're from, being underrepresented in that way. Right now, I would be interested to hear about the evolution of your career in the face of all this challenge. You did manage to actually progress and navigate your way through the tech sales world. Can you describe what was the evolution like for you going from that first role at Cisco to what you're now doing for Red Hat? I started really at, at the bottom, um, meaning that I was a business development representative, um, even though I my title was account manager, my role entitled to bring in new business. And this is really business development, right? Meaning cold calling, prospecting, all these type of things. And then further down the line, uh, there was the evolution into account management after I had gained knowledge, after I had understood really how do our solutions help our customers and how can we also help broaden the market. So I started really with small and mid-sized companies to prospect on them. And then further down the line, I became an account manager properly for mid-sized companies and then also completely leading the French-speaking market for the company I was then working with. And also as a second, and this is, I think, where really everything that I learned within political science came in was building the relationship with our external partners. That was very much important also in transitioning into that role, solidifying that relationship that we had with external partners. That's interesting you mentioned the political science because obviously one of the major challenges and I guess opportunities in any organization is to be able to navigate the politics of the organization. Do you still feel like the, I, I know you mentioned that you could feel it playing out in your current workplace. Can you just share more details on how did that training and education in political science end up benefiting you in a completely and seemingly unrelated industry? One major factor that I think attributes to the success I find currently and also the rewards that I find currently is my ability to communicate, my ability to present uh, complex um, environments and situations and build the bridge between how a tech solution can help the business. That That's one thing. And 
within political science, mostly also, I mean, you have lots of data. When you go through lots of data sets, you have to make sense. You have to make sense with the data that you have towards different stakeholders. And this is also something that I do on a day to day and convincing stakeholders internally and externally and external that the solution that we're providing is the best one. So I would say communication, definitely stakeholder relationship also secondly and then reading the room as in something i would even say very intuitively really understanding the dynamics of the room understanding okay can you bring this to the table or not can you have this discussion right now or not or do you need to convince different stakeholders individually before you come to the bigger table and this is very much politics well, before we talk about a few of the lessons you've learned along the way of your very interesting career change journey, Claudia, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you a little bit more about your life in sales. For anybody who's interested in switching into sales, and maybe this is someone who has had zero exposure to sales, has maybe had no experience in sales, what's something that you think they should know that you wished you had known about the world of sales before making the decision to pursue that route? I think one thing that I encourage everyone to do is first just give it a try because there's a huge misconception about what sales is and we have the sleazy car salesman or woman, right? <laughs> right? And that is trying to oversell you and underdeliver. But in essence, professional selling, really there is an art and there's a science to it that entails lots of different elements such as negotiation skills, communication skills, consulting. It is really the consultative approach that to me was very appealing inside of this industry. Because if you look at the challenges that customers and companies face today in order to serve their customers better, it is through technology that we help them advance. And if you have any type of transversal skill, such as being a good writer, being a good communicator, being a mathematician also, right? Any of these transversal skills that you have, so being very analytical, being structured, these are the types of characteristics, hard skills and soft skills that are being currently um, looked out for at companies. But the most important lesson is just give it a try. Don't limit yourself. That's a good point, Claudia. I, I don't know if I told you this, before, but many years ago, I sold life insurance for a large financial <laughs> institution in Hawaii. And I, I have to say, before I went into sales, and this is coming from somebody who was going to pursue a career in medicine, I would say <laughs> that I did have sort of a like a negative perception of the sales industry mm -hmm. about like pushing products and services onto people, like trying to convince and persuade people to buy things they yeah. don't really need. And I have to say, I really had my eyes opened when I was in that sales internship that it is a lot of times about helping people. It's about like helping people right. identify what can actually benefit them in their right. careers. Right. What's one or two skills that you feel you've actually developed as someone in sales that you feel have been especially important to you in both your professional life, but also in your personal life? Being able to help people. We have the notion, or at least I had the notion to being that if you help people, it has to be nonprofit. Right. right. You cannot you, right. You cannot help people if you are for profit. But being in a professional sales field has shown me no, 
first of all, it is your job to be able to help people, right? And if you want to do it right, you really have to get an understanding of what is currently going on in an industry and how your solution can help them. So very much developing that skill of understanding, that listening skill was very, is something that I had developed in the past, but through being in this industry for so long and um, for the past eight years has really helped me develop that skill even further down the line. And then also just keeping up with the trends of what is going on in your field. I mean, what are the next tech trends? What is the next wave? What are the next challenges that companies will be facing? These are the things that I have developed even furthermore. Well, the last thing I want to talk about before we wrap up, Claudia, are just some of the key takeaways that you've had from your career change journey. I know that one of the things you're passionate about is the idea that women and underrepresented minorities should advocate for themselves and to speak about their accomplishments in a way that raises their profiles within their current organization and beyond. And you had shared a few takeaways from your journey with me before we started speaking. I was hoping we could go through them one at a time. You shared three with me. First, you mentioned that courage is especially important for women. Tell me more about what you meant by that. I believe courage is so important because especially when you are from an underrepresented group, I mean, really women, minority, whatever it is, at times speaking up for yourself and speaking about your accomplishments is very difficult. And in the absence of confidence, what do you have? There's fear. And there is a limiting belief. So how do you overcome that? It is by finding courage and just making the jump. And that's why courage is so important, because at times you just don't have the elements of confidence. And for me, that was it. I didn't have the elements of confidence that I could succeed in an industry, succeed in a role, succeed in a country that I knew nothing about. So the only thing that I was left was my courage to just take a leap of faith and jump and see what is going to happen. So that is why I encourage everyone, just find it within you to jump. What are a couple ways that you feel people can advocate for themselves? You had mentioned to me before we started recording that you got to advocate for your accomplishments and you've got to successfully position yourself so that you can be considered for promotion, raises, opportunities. Absolutely. I think one of the most important things is to write down every single week, and I'm going to make it very actionable because this is one thing I do, is that every single week, block your calendar for 20 minutes and write down 10 things of why you are great, of the things that you, you do very well, whether it is a presentation that you failed, whether it is a coworker that you helped out, whether it is a new business that you brought in, write those things down because the misconception is that people see you. But the wake-up call is people don't see you. And especially with women, we work and work and work because we think somebody will see us. But one thing I've seen is that when we work hard in school, we get good grades. But when you transmit that same mindset into the workplace, you get frustrated and burned out because people simply don't see you. People have their own things on their plate. So if you don't advocate for yourself, you'll be passed by promotions, salary increases. So many opportunities will just pass you by because you're not making yourself seen, known and heard. So it is your job to really write down those accomplishments, set a one-to-one -one with your manager and say, here are the three things that I've done. Here are the five things that I've done 
that's helped advance the company. Do you notice, first of all, and can we maybe think about a promotion? Can we talk about a salary increase? Can we talk about my professional growth inside of this organization? Yeah, that's a really good tip, Claudia. It's, it's fine. As you were sharing that story, I, I was just thinking about this. This might not seem like it's related, but actually I was on an airplane yesterday and there were these guys who were trying to catch a connecting flight to South Africa. We were landing in London and our plane was delayed and they were just standing there in line. And a woman behind them actually said, why don't you just ask people if they can let you through? Because they were just standing there and they did. And then people let them through. But, but And she was saying, I don't know why they didn't ask for that earlier. And I just, I do think it's important to not assume that people know what you want, but to actually verbalize it, articulate it, be very specific about what you're looking for. We think that people will say no. And very specifically, there are studies, um, HBR released a study around how women negotiate. And the sad truth about it is that women negotiate four times less than men. And women start also with a much lesser salary than men. So what it accumulates to is that not just are you leaving money on the table, but you're also leaving money out of your pension, out of any dream that you can aspire to. But simply by asking, by just having the courage to ask, you can really up your salary in a very easy way without, you know, having to learn the ins and outs of negotiation skills, but just simply asking. The third and final point here is that you mentioned the currency for pivoting careers is your professional network. What would you like people to know about the importance of their professional relationships? This is something I learned very late in my career because one thing that retrospectively I believe would have made my transition within um, political science way easier would have been if I had an established network. I did not have any established network within my family or my close immediates. There was no one that was in the industry. I was working in the industry that I wanted. In IT, in the first place, also not. But one thing that helped me a lot was building up a professional network. And that network became really my currency with regards to opportunities, job opportunities, professional development. So I encourage each and everyone, especially women, to build up that network as soon as possible if you haven't done that so. If you're looking especially to pivot into careers, right, or transition into different careers, such as how we're doing now, the easiest way is to reach out to someone in a career that you're interested in that is completely different from the one that you're in currently and to have a conversation and ask, okay, what is your day-to-day? How do you become successful in this role? What does it take? And you might find that it's not as far-fetched as you think. And that career transition can become much easier and much smoother than if you're just all by yourself and trying to figure things out all by yourself. I was hoping to wrap up by asking you a couple final questions about some of the lessons you've learned along the way. And also, I want to ask you about your book. What's one thing that you've learned about yourself now that you have successfully broken into the tech industry as someone who, at least on the surface, initially maybe didn't seem like you had any business being in that industry? I learned about myself that I have an innate value and that value is growth. And I'll find to grow in no matter what industry. To me, the beginning, it was just sheer frustration. Why can't I make it? Why can't I become successful? But it's because I had the value of growth. So today, if I approach companies 
this is the first thing that I bring onto the table. What are possibilities in which I can grow? Because I'll find them. If I don't find them inside, I'll find them outside. That's, I think, the biggest lesson. And the second one is very much that if I have courage and I stop limiting my beliefs, I can achieve what I want to achieve. And I can also reach out to ask other people for help. And that is not a bad thing to do. I don't have to figure it all out by myself. You also wrote a book called My Hair, My Choice. What's that book about? The book My Hair, My Choice is a book I wrote for my daughter when she was around seven years old because she had an encounter at school that wasn't so pleasant about her hair, about the Afro hair that she has. And I had that experience too when I was much younger, but I wanted to give my daughter an empowering narrative because I understand that what there will be times where she has to become an ally for herself when nobody will stand up, such as when she had an incident in school. And I wanted to give her something that will remind her of her beauty and her strength. So the book, My Hair is My Choice, is that narrative that she can carry her hair any way she wants and this is her power, her superpower, in that being different is completely normal and being different is your choice. So that's why the book My Hair, My Choice was written. I'm definitely going to check that out and we will include a link to that book in the show notes. Where can people go, Claudia, to learn more about you and also how they can advocate for themselves in the workplace? So the easiest way is that I hang around lots on LinkedIn. So you can connect with me at Claudia Bruce Forty on LinkedIn. You connect with me also on my website. I'd be happy to chat with you. And um, yeah, you mentioned that I also have, in order to help you advocate for yourself, I developed a guide, a very short, sweet guide um, that you can download in which you can write down what are the things that make you remarkable, what are the things that make you great and start advocating for yourself. Well, we'll include a link to that resource also in the show notes. And I just really wanted to thank you so much for your generosity in giving us some of your time today and telling us more about your life as a key account manager, how you broke into that industry, and also just the importance of advocating for yourself in the workplace, especially if you're someone who is coming from an underrepresented background. So best of luck to you, Claudia, with all of your work there at Red Hat. And I hope it continues to go well for you. Thank you so much, Joseph, for having me. So I hope you enjoyed hearing Claudia's perspectives on focusing on what you can control, jumping when the time is right, and making yourself seen and heard. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'm going to explain the steps I've taken to drive visibility for my work in spite of my hesitations around self-promotion. Before we get to today's mental fuel, I'd like to thank Grammarly for supporting the Career Relaunch podcast. The Grammarly app finds and corrects spelling and grammar mistakes to make your writing more clear and concise, leveraging AI to make suggestions based on your context and preferred writing style. I use it pretty much every day myself across all my desktop applications, office documents, and mobile device. Download Grammarly for free today at careerrelaunch.net slash Grammarly. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge to help you move forward with your own career goals. So for today's Mental Fuel, I wanted to go back to something Claudia was saying about how the onus is on you to speak up, to ask for what you want, and to advocate for yourself in your career. 
And this got me thinking about this somewhat fine line between self-advocacy and what can be perceived as shameless self-promotion, which is a topic that comes up a lot in the personal branding workshops I host, and something I've actually struggled with in my own career, both during my past years in the corporate world and definitely now as someone who runs my own business. So I wanted to share how I approach advocating for myself these days. First, just to set the scene here, if you're someone who's worked at any organization, you've probably had that colleague who's always talking about their great achievements or pushing for promotion. If you go online, you've probably seen a fair number of posts on LinkedIn that start off with the words, honored to be awarded or thrilled to have spoken at or excited about the opportunity to or flattered to have been chosen for. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see someone start a post that begins with happy to share that or had the pleasure of or can't believe I've been named, a part of me wonders if this person isn't bragging or self-aggrandizing or even exaggerating the significance of what they're highlighting. And I think that this part of me is driven by a belief I've held for a very long time around the idea that my work should just speak for itself. That if I just put my head down and focus on getting my job done, I shouldn't have to proactively highlight my accomplishments or work on internal or external PR for myself. On top of that, culturally, as an Asian American, that Asian part of my upbringing was very firmly centered on not showing off or speaking up or speaking out. But at the same time, working at American companies kind of forced me to come face to face with the drawbacks of being too modest or soft-spoken. These days, as someone who's run my own business now for 10 years and counting, I spent a lot of time thinking about how I want to promote my work without coming across as excessively self-promotional, which can be kind of irritating, and how to ask for work without seeming overly desperate for that work. For me, it's really been a balancing act, one where I've just taken my best guess on what works well for my given situation. I don't invest into any paid marketing for my speaking services. So as much as I sometimes roll my eyes at that person who's putting up yet another post about an accolade of theirs, I myself do regularly post on LinkedIn about the work I'm doing. If you go to my social media feeds, you'll see that I regularly allude to the talks I've recently delivered. It's just my way of helping to stay top of mind amongst clients and the organizations where I regularly speak. And it's kind of worked for me over the years. But I definitely wonder how much is too much, and I don't really know. I often get asked how much posting is the right amount of posting on LinkedIn. And while you can find all sorts of articles online about the optimal frequency, at the end of the day, I really believe it's a personal choice. If you feel like you need to be posting daily to keep yourself top of mind with your target clients, go for it. But if you feel like that cadence is perhaps too in your face, Amongst those people you're trying to reach, do it less often. 
I get asked similar questions from clients about how much they should push for a promotion or how much they should be driving internal PR for themselves within an organization. There's no single catch-all piece of guidance I can give on this. But if you're wondering if you're advocating too strongly for yourself, or on the other hand, not advocating enough for yourself, what I've found to be useful is to just ask a trusted colleague, mentor, or third-party observer who's seen you in action. Whenever I've been in doubt about my own promotional activity or self-advocacy, I've found a quick sense check with someone I trust who knows my industry or organization can help me ensure I'm doing the right amount of self-advocacy. Ultimately, I do feel the onus is on you to speak up and proudly highlight your key accomplishments in a way that feels effective and natural enough to you. No one is going to necessarily do it for you, and no one is going to care as much about your career trajectory as you. So I'd recommend you lean in and ask for what you want. Share a success or highlight something you're proud of. At worst, you might rub somebody the wrong way. But at best, you might just help create an opening for yourself related to something in your career you've always wanted. This takes me to a quote from author and professor at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business, Dory Clark. Advocating for yourself is a critical component of career success. If you don't speak up for yourself, no one else will. So my challenge to you is to pick one aspect of your work that you feel deserves a bit more of your support and advocate for it. Maybe it's a project you feel deserves more visibility within your organization or an overdue promotion you feel is worth getting onto your manager's radar or a piece of career news you've been keeping to yourself but want to share with your network. Whatever it is, take ownership of your career and proactively promote it. If you don't advocate for it, you can be sure others won't either. And you might just be surprised how people respond. If you have a question about career change you want me to address on the show, or if you have a story of career change in your own life you would like to share with our listener community, I'd love for you to leave me a voicemail with your thoughts at careerrelaunch.net slash 98. I do listen to and try to respond to every single voice message I receive. You can also find a summary there of my entire discussion with Claudia and learn more about her work, her book, and her career. Again, that's careerrelaunch.net slash 98. If you enjoy listening to this show, I'd also appreciate you leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And to ensure you never miss an episode, be sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for being part of the Career Relaunch community. And a very special thanks again to Claudia Bruce Corti for sharing her story with us today from Zurich. This episode was mixed by Liam McKenzie. Today's music was curated by Jonathan Rinaldi-Pole. And the Career Relaunch theme song was written and performed by Electrocardiogram. I'm Joseph Liu, and I'll talk to you next time. 